Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome into Tom Curran's Patriots Talk podcast featuring Phil Perry and Matt Castle. This is a mini pod. We took a veer during our most recent podcast and explored Josh McDaniels and Jed Fish and what the Patriots offense might look like if McDaniels ends up going someplace else and the Patriots quarterbacks coach Fish takes over the offense. We thought it was so good, we decided to pop it out and send it to you guys because there's some real good intel in here. So enjoy. What will the Patriots lose if they do lose Josh McDaniels to a head coaching job? Right. I mean, he, he's been there for so long, and he's a guy that, I mean, he, he's got tremendous respect, obviously, amongst the players and everything else. But he's so creative. He's dynamic. He puts put players in a great position. I've never been around an offensive coordinator that spends as much time getting you prepared for a game. And it's the minute details that a lot of guys just overlook. But he, he's incredible in that sense. And he's also understanding to the fact that, hey, certain players might not like certain things. And it's that open conversation that he has with his quarterbacks that he tries to understand what they like, play to their strengths, put you in a position to be successful. But it's not just that. He's got an incredible mind. He started on the defensive side of the ball, came over the offense. So I learned more football in my first two seasons in New England than I did any other time in my career. And which he was is, 25. And he was 25, but he was teaching me the the nuances of the, the adjustments that they do, go on, do on the defensive side of the ball. When you get into bunch formations, what does nail mean? What is locking combo? All these little um, different disguises and, and what they can do to you on the defensive side of the ball and what the adjustments are. Then, then just as simple stuff as going out on the field and walking through a two-minute drill and putting you through the mental preparation of going, okay, we're on third and three in the red zone. What are you going to call? But making you do it and it challenges you, but he's an incredible teacher. And I think that's the biggest thing that they will miss is there's not, there's not a ton of guys that can teach the way that he does. He's like a professor, right? And he makes you mm -hmm. understand it. And, and, and that is what I always appreciated about Josh is his capacity to go out, understand a player, and then teach in a way that they understand and can really absorb it. Go back to USC. Did you have Norm Chow? I had Norm Chow. Yes, go, Norm go Chow. Through, I, go through I all your offensive coordinators that you've had since USC. Since USC, okay. And this so, is not to degrade anybody relative to Josh. It's just you've no. seen a lot of guys. I had Josh McDaniels, then I went and had Chan Gailey when I went to Kansas City. When I went to Kansas City, though, that first year, he was fired a week before season. Todd Haley took over. The next year was Charlie Weiss. Then it was Jim Zorn. Then it was Brian Dayball. From there, I went to Minnesota, and I had um, – Musgrave. Then from Musgrave, we went to Norv Turner my second year in Minnesota. From there, I went to Greg Norman. I mean, Greg. Uh, Greg Roman. Norman. Shot. No, sorry. Greg, <laughs> Greg Roman in Buffalo. This list continues, boys. It's awesome. Uh, uh, then I went from there to Dallas. In Dallas, I had, uh, gosh. Garrett? Uh, no, it, I mean, Garrett, Garrett was part Kellen of Kellen Moore? No, Kellen was there as a backup quarterback. Who is my, I'm, I'm uh, Scott Linehan. Okay. Right. Okay. And then from there, I went to Tennessee and Rubisky for two years. And then from there, I went to Detroit and I had Jim Bob Cooter. So there you go. Rounds it all off, fellas. Yeah, I got a Fantastic. lot of experience. I love that because people. I mean, who we can't have Brady come in here and talk about that shit because he's had whoever was there in Michigan and then he had Josh and Charlie and Bill O'Brien. I mean, it's not the same. I mean, you when you speak about this, you're talking about something that you have experienced in 12 different places. 
BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. So, Phil, what do the Patriots lose or what do they gain if Jed Fish becomes the next guy? Well, just to keep it consistent here, Jed Fish does come from a tree that favors that Shanahan style. So that would be the Kevin Stefanski tree in Cleveland. That would be the... Uh, the Arthur Smith tree in Tennessee. Now it's Matt LaFleur in Green Bay. It's Sean McVay. It's Kyle Shanahan, obviously. I mean, this thing has, has taken off across the league and he would be, I think more geared towards that style. It is the style that we saw from him. He did have a brief run as offensive coordinator in Jacksonville several years ago. And that's what they ran. Obviously he spent time with McVay in LA for the previous uh, two seasons before this one. And they ran what they run. So uh, I think that would be what you're looking at. And, and the, the benefit of that, and Matt, you could obviously speak to this better than I could. But from what I understand from talking to coaches around the league, the benefit of that is it's incredibly quarterback friendly because it allows you time behind the pocket. First of all, it relies on a good running game. It starts with the running game. But if you can get that running game going, which the Patriots in theory should be able to, those bootleg rollout passes where you get four, four and a half, five seconds behind the line of scrimmage to watch things shake loose and, and make pretty easily readable types of throws and decisions. You can see some of the results you're seeing from some quarterbacks that I think a lot of us would consider sort of middle of the food chain, um, excuse me, middle of the food chain talent wise. Right. I mean, and it's a quarterback friendly system. There's no doubt about that. As you said, it starts with the run game. It's all predicated on that. Can you get that going? But it's a lot of easy throws, right? It's the boots and it's the, and when you're running out normally on one of those boots, it's just a pure progression, right? You got the guy in the flat, you got the over, you got the comeback. It's very simplistic. You throw it to the open guy, you go through, if not, you run. Other than that, it's move the pockets deep down the field, two man patterns, right to your check down ton of screen game mixed into that and then when you look at like the rams or or even green bay it's all getting to empty it's the quick game right it's one side or the other where's your matchup through you know get get the ball out so it's a lot of simple throws and you don't have to do much with it and then the shots come off of heavy play action and when you're running the ball well and you can establish that run which obviously the new england patriots can I mean, it makes for a very simple game plan for the quarterback. And there's not a lot that you have to go through as when you sit there and you're in, you know, 11 personnel all game and you're saying, well, I got to cut the field in half. They're disguising, you know, you have to be perfect. It's a lot of progression reads. It's one to two to three to check down one to two to three to check down. Do I've got the guy on the outside? Cause a lot of times we call it a big alert, so to speak, where you got a, a wide receiver to the left by himself and you're sitting there and going, is he one-on-one? Okay, you can throw that right now. If not, you're right back into your progression. So, again, from a quarterback standpoint, you always love those type of plays and playing within that type of system because it, they're, they're, it takes the thought process out, and you don't have to be perfect every single time with where you're going with the ball. So hear me out. Bill Belichick has already started the pivot from the Perkins, Earhart, Charlie Weiss, Josh McDaniels offense to the more quarterback friendly and easier to teach to an incoming college quarterback who didn't have the sophistication of the drop back passing in college. 
so that he can assimilate quickly. So Jed Fish is here because he's 44 years old and he's shown some intuitiveness and, and you know, he's good. But he's also here that if and when Josh leaves, the Patriots are going to change their offense because Bill knows that if Jed Fish comes in, you don't ask him to learn everything the Patriots do. You tell him, do that shit that Shanahan and McVay do because I love those guys and I want you to do what they do. And I can't get them, but I can get you to do that because it's easier. That was the first thing I thought when they hired him this offseason, the first thing I assumed was this gonna is change? in preparation. Well, th- well, that this is in well, preparation, in preparation of, of Josh but I didn't leaving. Think it change. Well, and well, so what's interesting, Matt, and, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, but like the Patriots <laughs> have a lot of these plays in their playbook, right? They they run oh, bootlegs and rollouts and like all that stuff is there, you know, two backs, two tight ends. Like you can run these plays a lot of the same ways, the zone, the stretch runs, the wide zone stuff, like it's already in there. So just be, what are you emphasizing? And I think, Matt, if you get somebody who understands that Shanahan system, who now has spent a year in the Patriots system, so he has all these normal drop back elements of the Patriots passing game that he's gotten used to in this year. He also has some college experience, but some time at UCLA, at Michigan. So that RPO stuff, if he wants to be even more young quarterback, college quarterback friendly, the Patriots can do that too. I think Jed Fish is, is – uh, I don't know if he's uniquely qualified, but he would be qualified to kind of bring those elements in if and when you do make that transition at the most important position on your team. Right. And the most interesting part about it also is they can make that tra- transition quite easily because it's not like they're coming back with Tom Brady, right? Tom Brady was in the same system for 20 years. You're not going to change that system. It's his system. He's a part of it. He w- he helped build it and he understands it, right? So why would you come in and change a system that's had the success that he had? But when you're starting over at the quarterback position, potentially with a lot of new receivers, a lot of new faces, if you get to this offseason program, depending on how it all relates to what we're going through with COVID and all that stuff, and if they're going to have an offseason, but you can implement whatever you want and whatever scheme you want, because you've got a new guy. It's not not like he's starting he's he learned this offense like a Jared Stidham did and now he's got to start over with a new you know for the offensive lineman it's easy to learn protection you know in in terms of the run game you can keep the run game however you want in terms of how you call it from a terminology standpoint but in terms of pass game you can teach whatever you want and however you want to however you want to create it and that's easy to do because you've got a new quarterback that is going to adapt to what you want to do oh Next Pat's Patriots podcast, uh, next Pat's podcast assignment for you. And I'm sure you would have done it anyway. Find out who the most readily, readily available quarterback who would successfully run the McVay Shanahan system is. And you want me to tell you what my initial, my you, initial reporting has one, found one already. Yes. My initial reporting has, has found um, well, I think a lot of these guys could do it because they're, they're good enough athletes, right? You got to be kind of on the Jimmy Garoppolo spectrum of being able to bootleg and Kirk cousins and Tannehill. Mm-hmm. These guys are all, you know, athletic enough. So you need that. So Kyle Trask from Florida, I would say is out. I, I don't think he's, he's, he's mobile enough to do it. Um, but several guys are mobile enough. The guy that I think is, is actually most interesting is Trey Lance, who has very little college experience, but the college experience that he does have is in a quote unquote pro style offense that had him under center a lot. And so for those bootleg types of plays, that footwork, which can be, I, I think, kind of tough for some of these college quarterbacks who are in the shotgun 100% of the time to get down and just to be comfortable with turning your back to a defense. Matt, that's something that's some of the stuff that I've heard from 
um, from scouts before, like the play action game in the NFL is different than anything. Some of these guys have seen in college because you're, you're literally turning around and you're taking your eyes off of what you just saw. And by the time you turn back, the new movie, the defense might be different. <laughs> so, so Trey Lance has very little overall experience, just one year really as a starter. Um, but showed a lot in terms of ability and the offense he played in is probably the closest thing to a Shanahan style system of any of these quarterbacks. Matt, anybody else jump out to you that we might see during this bowl season in terms of teams or colleges or programs that, that jump out, whether it's, you know, obviously it's not going to be friggin' Trevor Lawrence, but <clears throat> I'm not, not going to sit here and say I've been watching it. Yeah, no, no, I'm not. I mean, and, and, uh, really up to date on all the quarterbacks 100%. in the draft. And so it's hard for me to say. I just didn't know if anybody jumped out as being kind of like what Phil was saying. Right. Running almost the Shanahan style of boot. Well, that's the thing is I don't I don't believe that you, you have to pigeonhole yourself and say we've he's got to run a pro style offense because of the type of play action. This look, you look at a guy like Justin Herbert. He was at Oregon, right? They were never under center. They were always in shotgun. But you look at what they do for the Chargers. It is play action pass. Mm. It's under center. It's footwork that a lot of guys think are you're going to struggle. But mentally, can they can they actually grasp it? Can they understand the system? And look, all these guys are skilled. It's yep. to, and when they're getting ready for the draft, guess what? The only thing that most of these guys do is work on their footwork, work on, you know, making sure they're in rhythm because when they go to that combine, what's the thing that they're getting drilled on five-step drop, five-step drop in rhythm, five-step drop out of rhythm, seven-step drop, but maybe a bootleg, some throws on the run. So they are drilling themselves over and over again and, and they're skilled enough and they're capable enough to go out and do that and make adjustments. So I don't think it's always one of those things where you have to say, it's got to come from a pro style offense because it fits the system now. No, it could be from any type of system. If the guy has a skill set, he's an athlete, he'll figure it out. All right, you had enough football? <laughs> You've never had enough football, but we're still going to move on and give you a little basketball with our buddy Chris Forsberg, Celtics insider for NBC Sports Boston. Celtics obviously starting up their season against the Bucks next Wednesday. Our Celtics Talk podcast will drop two times every week. Chris Ooh. is the QB there, or the point guard, if you will. Mm. And it's a great listen. So, Christopher, thank you for jumping in. I'm ready to uh, talk football too, if you need it. Like I can go back to my old roots. I was trying to dig out my notebooks. We were joking before we jumped on like 2007 to 2012. I got to, to get to see a lot of good football and a lot of bad football, but uh, yeah. He to- was riding sidecar. Philly, you remember he was riding sidecar with Reese back in that uh, other little room next to ours? Uh, I do remember that. I do. Chris Forsberg being in there. Those were my first couple of years mm-hmm. covering the Patriots. So yeah. Um, so he sort of he sort of handed me the baton from across the room, and um, and now look at us now. Yeah, all one big happy I always, family. I, I always thought I'd be on a on a Patriots Talk podcast at some point. Well, you are, baby. But we're talking Celtics, and the interesting thing is, NFL and NBA, you could not be any more different in terms of the models of the league. Look out! <laughs> we're gonna talk some Celtics, Rye. Um, <laughs> right back out. <laughs> listen. They couldn't be any more different. So let's just dive in instead of a big preamble. What do you see as the expectations for a 2020 Celtics team? Because NBA championship for all but a few teams is probably off the table. But where is this team headed? I think you have to be measured. I think early on, especially, uh, I think it's just going to be a lot of lumps because they're going to have to lean on the young guys. No Kemba out of the gates. Uh, Tristan Thompson might not be even ready to go to start here. So I think we're going to figure out a lot about a lot of these recent draftees. They've got half the roster is from the last three drafts and none of them really have defined roles. Name so, a couple of these recent draftees because, you know, you look at the Carson Edwards and the, you know, uh, 
Robert Williams or whoever. Talk to me about some of these recent draftees who are going to be able to emerge because most of this team, aside from Tatum and Brown and Smart, um, are acquisitions. Yeah, so I think Grant Williams has a great chance to step right in. We saw that in the bubble. Uh, he can play some four or five for you. Uh, but right for, after that, it's a mystery. Like, I think we like what we saw from Peyton Pritchard in the preseason, and maybe he can give you a nice little boost, especially because you need some point guard minutes. Uh, but my guy, Robert Williams, jury's still out. We got to still figure out what's happening there. Uh, Carson Edwards has not been able to sort of build off that preseason game in Cleveland a couple of years ago. And so it, it, there's a lot to prove for these young guys. And even Aaron Neesmith, their top overall mm-hmm. pick this year. Shot looks great. But, yeah, well, I was, I'm glad you said that because uh, on the My Teams app, you'll see we have a, a story coming out soon about uh, the biggest surprise of the season. I think he's a little bit of a forgotten man because mm-hmm. of the injuries. Uh, he's got a lot of talent. And I know everyone sits there and says he was one spot after Tyler Hero. But uh, I think he can help him. Phil doesn't know he's on mute. And I'm off. I have, uh, I think, um, maybe the nickname of the year. So Ooh. I just want to workshop it here, Chris. It's not a, a it's not an exact. It's not an exact. It's not a perfect one for one. But I think we need to start calling Aaron Neesmith the founder. Oh, I love that. <laughs> what do we think? Okay. I love that. I mean, wing, it's not. It's not. It's not Doctor James Neesmith. It's it's a different spelling. It's a little different pronunciation. But it's like. Oh my God, this guy shoots so well. It's like he invented the game. <laughs> the, uh, the founder. There, there's some buzz on Celtics Twitter trying to get the green beam going. <sighs> and uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like these things take time. Not, they're not all Time Lords. They don't all come together very quickly. So, time Lord uh, is good. Time Lord is good and it is stuck. So we'll, is. we'll keep workshopping the founder. You know, maybe maybe talk about it with your with the others sure. on the beat. I'll throw it out there. Pre post game show, Scal, yeah. Abby, like let's oh, don't, try don't, to work this don't thing. Don't workshop out for anything with Scal. Scal will let's just plow shoot through some. Let's plow through a few quick topics here. Let's do it. First up, Bob Williams. I'm a fan. People yes. who sit there and look at what happened the other night in the preseason game and say, "Oh, he's not making any progress." Clearly didn't watch the playoffs where he had segments and sections where he took over. He is a rim runner. He could someday be just like, and the name escapes me, it's the former Rockets guy who was their rim runner. Clint Capella? Yeah. I mean, I saw the eyebrows go down a little bit. No, no, no. Okay. If he's Clint Capella someday, that's tremendous. And it's not ridiculous to think he could be that. Phil, Chris, hit me back on Bob. I like it. I like like it too. Yeah, I like him too, and I, I he's got to just be like an oop guy and a rim protector, Chris. That's all I want. Can he do that? Yeah, and I, I think, like, look, going up against Joel Embiid, pretty difficult for anybody, especially someone who's projected to play more backup minutes. And so, tough matchup. I'll be interested to see what he can do with more floor time. Uh, I think Clint Capella is a great comparison. There was a lot of talk a couple of years ago, should the Celtics trade Marcus Smart for Clint Capella? And I sat there and said, eh, you might have Clint Capella. You might have something better than Clint Capella. So, but I do want to volley it back to Phil. Phil, I, I can't come on a podcast without bringing up Marcus Smart for you. What's your, mm. what's your confidence level going into the season with Marcus probably in a bigger role? Chris? I'm terrified. <laughs> I'm terrified because no Kemba Walker, no Gordon Hayward. All that means in Marcus Smart's mind, I guarantee it. I haven't spoken to him, but I can guarantee you this is is what he's thinking. Well, what does the team need? I give the team what it needs. I'm a winning player. Mm -hmm. Team needs shots. Team needs Mm -hmm. scoring. Team needs points. I'm that guy. I can be that guy. And we are going to see 
some atrocious decision-making on the offensive end. And a guy who I think should be Patrick Beverly plus, like he's not Patrick Beverly. Like I think he could be better than Uh that. He could give uh you more than that. Tom's rolling his eyes. (laughs) It's fine. He's a very good defender and he should be an offensive role player. Yes. He's going to think that he's a superstar this year. And I am terrified. I'm going to run with this real quick and then send it to you. He is much better as a point guard than a scoring guard. And when he decides he's going to be a scoring guard, it is maddening because you can see Jalen Brown in the corner going. And I would rather see Jalen Brown hoisting at this point. And I would rather see Jason Tatum playing in the flow instead of saying, okay, well, he had his turn and he's had his turn, but I'm supposed to be the hundred and whatever million dollar guy. So I'm going to go through my legs nine times and then, have a spin fall away here because it is my turn and that's who I am for this team. He can be a lubricant, smart can, or he can be sand in the gears. And sometimes offensively he's sand in the gears, but he brings you so much, Chris. He brings you so much. Can he get away? I mean, now I'm riffing and I'm not talking to the expert, but nothing is more deadly for me than Marcus Smart hitting his first shot. Uh, it's the first shot. I'm like, oh no. By the way, spoken like a guy who who lives in and plays the same way. As soon as <laughs> TC sees that first one go through the net, it's on. But it's I know, weird, but weird. I know, I know. When I miss it, I'm not gonna say feed the heat or just you know what, shoot or shoot. I'm gonna no, no one for me. Go ahead, Christopher. I thought Marcus Mott was very disciplined in the first preseason game. My head nearly exploded when we were on early edition yesterday, and Tommy Giles, our friend, suggested. Marcus Smart needs to shoot more while Kemba is out. And I, I could just see, uh, you know, but uh, I agree. There's a balance for Marcus Smart to strike. And I'd like to see him in a reserve role once everyone's healthy. I think he oh, really helps bring really? that energy off the bench. Really? You wouldn't want yeah. him in the five. See, there's so many guys I'd love to get to, but I want to talk about Kemba Walker. Because I've, once, I've won Chris Forsberg over, by the way. He just said yeah, he's he just relegated to the bench. What do you get a Celtics <laughs> talk pod when he's starting again? Make sure again the Celtics talk pod. <laughs> you can send all the venom right below on the YouTube. Talk, this is a pod massive victory times, every week. Uh, Christopher, I love Kemba Walker. I wanted him to be the successor to, to Kyrie Irving. I thought it made great sense, but you can see in Kemba Walker's game that he gets swallowed up underneath. God mm-hmm. bless him. He tries, but at this juncture in his career, there's something missing in terms of his finishing. And it's not going to get better. I don't want him to go anywhere else. But that is a finishing problem that is not going away. When he does re-enter, does he understand he's probably the third option to finish? Yeah. You I, agree I, or disagree? I, I agree. I think he, he and he, I think he'll embrace that. I think he, as much as anyone has been a cheerleader for, for Tatum and Brown's ascension, and I think it's helped uh, accelerate that process. But I do agree. I think he, it, on one hand, I sit there and say, well, you got that Kobe treatment where you spin the, the, pe- the, 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 the pellet pallets or whatever in the knee, the stem cells, whatever. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And the fingers, cr- fingers crossed, you know, maybe he comes back and he gets five or six more good years. But the fact that it didn't get better during the break and now an off season is, is certainly troubling. And they've got to, got to, they got to get to the root of this uh, with three more years on under contract for Kemba Walker. Uh, when he has that burst, what we saw at the start of the year, which I think we forget too, like yeah. he was a legitimate all-star and played well and hit a lot of three-pointers. And so you get back to that, Kemba Walker, I feel pretty confident about where this team is going. Uh, heck of a third option to have if he does play like that. He's Chris, 80% where is it? Kyrie. He's 80% of Kyrie when he's going good offensively. Mm-hmm. And that's fine, Philly. 
Yeah, I just think we we've sadly, unfortunately, I don't want to bury the guy, but it doesn't feel like this thing is is getting better anytime soon. So I wonder if we will see that Kyrie again. Chris, where is this team going? Tom and I make our predictions for the football team every year. Actually, these next three weeks for me and Tom are actually pretty important in terms of overall record. I think we're both still in the mix. I don't know. Tom had six and ten. I had eight and eight. Moved up to seven and nine. Oh, you finished at eight and eight. I went eight and eight. Well, I ended up at. I mean, nine and seven is not looking very good for me, uh, but we're both still alive. How about you and the Celtics? Where are these guys finishing this year? Sure. I think it's going to be tough out of the gates. I think you could look up in maybe late January, early February before uh, Kemba sort of gets full go here, and they could be sixth place in the East, depending on how well the Nets start and Philly, but there's a lot more talent right now. Yeah, I think he's good. I think just because that's, that's low, isn't it? Sixth place in the East? Yeah, no, but I'm, I'm not saying they're going to stay there, though. I think it's just they're going to understandably take their lumps, try to develop these young guys. And then once Kemba's back, once Tristan's fully integrated, I think you shift gears. And you're going to hear us talk a ton about this traded player exception and whether they can go add talent. You know, I think then all of a sudden you're going to look up in March and they're going to have their rotation ready, their, their guys that they're going to lean on. And then I think they'll kick into overdrive. I think they'll still end up third or fourth in the East. I think one of these teams, like, you know, Milwaukee's going to be a dominant force in the regular season again. Brooklyn's Miami. Ridiculous. Yeah. And, and if, Brooke, if it, if it clicks for Brooklyn, watch well, out. And so early. Yeah. So, okay. Third, fourth in the East. You still, you're, you're maybe you got to go on the road at some point in the playoffs, whatever. Who's that, that idiot. Who's a machine for them. Who scored like 60 last year against the Celtics. Just went oh, Chris Middleton. See, huh? Chris Middleton on the ball. No, 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 no. On the oh. Nets. On the Nets. Oh, uh, uh, let's see. Like, uh, was it? Who went he scored like year? forty in the second half in overtime. Dinwiddie was it? Dinwiddie. Yeah. Or, or right. Levert? One of those. Lebert. 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 Yes, Karras. That's right. Uh, so, like, look, the, the, the Nets have a, t- a ton of talent. They've got. They kept that young core intact. They brought back Joe Harris. I think they have a very good chance. Uh, all things considered, I think you'll you remember the Levert game, right? Yeah. Now I remember. I tried and to Tommy out. was going bananas. That's what happened. All, all these like young guys went nuts against the Celtics last year. I mean, Devin Booker a few years ago with that 70 point game, but um, it, I think the Celtics will be fine at the end of the year. I'm curious with, with you guys, are you bullish on this year or do you think there could be some lumps, Phil? I think there are going to be some lumps. I, it's going to be a mixed bag for me because I think we're, we're going to see both Tatum and Brown take a little bit of a leap and you're going to see the team in terms of where it ends up take a little bit of a step back. So it's going to be a mixed bag for me. I I just don't think they have enough talent. And the, and the Kemba Walker thing really concerns me. I mean, that's, that, to yeah. me, if he's around, they're contending. And if he's himself, they're contending. If he's not, they're not. It's always fun to me. I love the games. I love the NBA. I love watching all the games. I'm so happy I'm watching preseason right now. But when I look at Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, I find to me that there's an on-court undercurrent of when is it my turn? And they have to resolve that somehow because they're two excellent players and Tatum is better skilled, but Brown brings more dog, if you will. And I'm, you know, it's not me to say that, but it's absolutely the fact. Um, But that's who he is and that's how he is. And they have to find a way to coexist and get themselves to mesh because if they can, instead of what I was seeing in the bubble last year, the, the, final series with Miami when they seemed almost to not even make eye contact, if they can get that right, then I don't care about wins and losses. I just want to see progress chemistry wise between those two. I will say I'll, I'll end on this. I think that 
whenever those two have been the focal points for this team, you know, you think back to when Kyrie and Gordon were injured in the playoffs two years ago, even last year without Gordon and with a, a, a hurt Kemba, they've always played really well and they've tended to bring the best out of each other by pushing each other. I agree though. They have to harness that. They have to continue to push each other, you know, all right, Jason Tatum's all NBA now. Jalen Brown's like, well, I want to be an all-star and then I want to prove I can be all NBA. If they keep that yin and yang, I can see them, this team being very good and in the mix, but it all rides on those two. It really doesn't matter to me like what happens with the supporting cast. Kemba's somewhat uh, 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 of a wild card there and what he can bring, but to me it comes down to, is Jason Tatum a top 10 player by the end of the year? Is, Jason, uh, is Jalen Brown in the top 20, top 25 conversation? That's when you'll know if this team can compete. Last thing before we go, why is Tristan Thompson already ruled out for the opener with a hamstring as of last week? A hamstring? Uh, because did it, uh, every, off, did it explode? Every player that comes to the Celtics is uh, contractually obligated to get hurt. So, uh, but a Tristan, hamstring? A ham, you got to be careful. Soft tissue. It I happened was, December 4th or something. They already said, yeah, he's not no playing excuse, on the opener. No excuse for it. Like, what, do you do? What, do you, what do you mean? Uh, I will say, I, I love this answer. When we were talking to him on media day, he said that while the rest of the league is sipping my ties and sitting on a beach, he wants to be in the gym. So I will, tr- I hope they trade. I think they're treading cautiously overall okay. with the hopes of playing deep into the season, but yeah, not, never good when four of your potential eight rotation guys missed the first preseason game and potentially the start of the year. No, I'm pretty sure I saw him. Pretty sure I saw him on a private island on a beach somewhere at, a, at some celebrity four, 40th birthday party at some point. So I don't know. Maybe there's a gym there, though. I'm sure there was a gym there. I'm sure he's getting Oh, I'm sure there was a gym there. Probably heard it running on the beach. It's all good. All right, guys. Chris Forsberg, Celtics Talk Podcast, drops twice a week, every week during Celtics season. Please give it a listen. Give it your love. Give it a comment. Give it your likes. Phil, let's wrap it up. Wrap it up. Wrap it up.